Mark chapter 3 tonight. Mark chapter 3. I want to begin reading in verse 6, and we're going to go all the way down through verse 19. Mark 3, I'm going to start in verse 6. When you found that, I'll invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word. The Pharisees went out and immediately began conspiring with the Herodians against Him as to how they might destroy Him. Jesus withdrew to the sea with His disciples, and a great multitude from Galilee followed, and also from Judea, and from Jerusalem, and from Idumea, and beyond the Jordan, and the vicinity of Tyre and Sidon. A great number of people heard of all that He was doing and came to Him. And he told his disciples that a boat should stand ready for him because of the crowd so that they would not crowd him. For he had healed many with the result that all those who had afflictions pressed around him in order to touch him. Whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they would fall down before him and shout, You are the Son of God! And he earnestly warned them not to tell who he was. And he went up on the mountain and summoned those whom he himself wanted, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve, so that they would be with him, and that he could send them out to preach, to have authority to cast out the demons. And he appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, and James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James. To them he gave the name Boanerges, which means sons of thunder and Andrew and Philip, Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus and Simon the Zealot and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Please be seated. We've been looking over the past couple of weeks at the controversy Jesus is having with the religious leaders among the Jews. Controversies over matters of religion. And Jesus has made it clear, as we saw last Sunday night, I didn't come to restore your religion or renew your religion. I came to replace it. He said, I've come to do a new thing. I've come to replace the old covenant with the new covenant. As we saw this morning, He's teaching that all matters of religion. Uh, he has authority over all of that. It is Him we look to now as the center of religion. He is the one who becomes prominent in the matters of faith for God's people. He's replacing the old system and giving us Himself as the central focal point of our faith. And Jesus is about the mission of taking that message to the people of God. Taking the message that in Him the kingdom of God has come near. He has come to establish the kingdom, to establish the new covenant. He has come as the Savior and Messiah. That is His mission to get the word out, to preach this message to the people of God. And we've seen as his popularity blossoms. But popularity 
can be a double-edged sword. You can be popular in a good sense and in a not-so-good sense. You can have some people, you are popular with them, not because they like you, but simply because they don't. And you have others who are attracted to you for various reasons. Some just fans and some followers. But in any case, Jesus has the attention of everyone. I want you to keep that in mind as we look at these verses tonight. All eyes are on Jesus. His popularity has just exploded. And He is about how do we get the message out to the people. His mission has not changed. He is on a mission to preach. The kingdom of God is at hand. I have come as the Savior Messiah. Now there are two things I want us to notice tonight as we look at these verses. The first thing I want you to see is the hindrances. In this text, what we see is there are some things that hinder Jesus in His ability to try to preach and get the message out. His popularity in some ways is having a negative effect on His ability to preach and get the message out. Now I want to show you that. The reason I went back to verse 6 that we looked at this morning is because here is one of the hindrances that we see Jesus has. The Pharisees went out and began to conspire with the Herodians against Jesus. How they could destroy Him. The first hindrance we see here is hostility. Persecution from those who had set their goal on Jesus to do away with Him. The Pharisees are the right-wing religionists. The Herodians are the left-wing Greeks. They couldn't be more different. The only thing they have in common is they both want to do away with Jesus. And so now as persecution begins to ramp up, as you have these two groups of people plotting to do away with Jesus, one great hindrance to His ministry is going to be, as we see going along the, their attacks on Him, their persecution against Him, their coming after Him is going to only get more intense and increase as time goes on. So this is one hindrance to Jesus' ministry. It's the persecution coming against Him, this hostility. But there's a second one. The second hindrance I want you to see is His popularity, specifically with the crowd of people. I want you to notice beginning in verse 7. It says, Jesus withdrew to the sea with His disciples and a great multitude followed Him. Now I want you to notice something. Mark differentiates between His disciples and the crowd. Did you see that? On one hand, there's His disciples, and on the other hand, there's the great multitude. And I want you to see how great of a multitude this was. These people were coming from everywhere. Verse 7, it mentions Galilee. That's in the north. It mentions Judea, Jerusalem, and Idumea. That's in the south. Beyond the Jordan, that's in the east. The vicinity of Tyre and Sidon, that's in the west. He's telling us north, south, east, and west, people are coming to Him from everywhere. 
Verse 8, a great number of people heard all that he was doing and came to him. You need to notice that. What did they hear? They heard what he was doing. Not what he was saying. They heard what he was doing. And watch this. Verse 9, this is important. He told his disciples that a boat should stand ready for him because of the crowd so that they would not crowd him for he had healed many with the result that all those who had afflictions pressed around him in order to touch him. Here's the picture. There are so many people. They have come from everywhere. They are crowding him. He can't hardly catch his breath. They all are after him to, to, to touch him. They're looking for healing or whatever they want him to do for them. And finally, he has his disciples to get a boat ready so he can get in the boat and not sail away from the people, but to just get out a little ways from shore. Now, why does he want to do that? This is really important. You look in chapter 4 of Mark. You're right there, verse 1. He began to teach again by the sea, and such a very large crowd gathered to him that he got into a boat in the sea and sat down. And the whole crowd was by the sea on the land, and he was teaching them. If you look in Luke chapter 5 verses 1 through 3, you see the same thing. The people have crowded Jesus so much that He gets into a boat, puts out just a little ways from land, and He's teaching them. Why the boat? Because His goal is to preach and teach the Gospel. He can't do that with them crowding around Him and He can't even breathe. So He has to get into a boat why tells the disciples, have a boat ready because they're going to crowd me. I'm here to preach and teach. So he gets in the boat so he can get out a little ways from land and preach and teach. Here's what I need you to see. The people were flocking to Jesus because they heard about His power. They were attracted to Him by His popular appeal. It wasn't really His message or that they was convinced He was the Messiah, they were attracted by what He could do for them, for His popularity. And Jesus knew that. Listen, they were fans, not followers. You hear that? They were fans, but they were not followers. But Jesus' mission remained the same. And the crowd actually became a hindrance to Jesus because it made it impossible for him to preach. A crowd of fans who were only really interested in what he could do for them, that's becoming a hindrance to Jesus so much so that he has to get in the boat and get off the shore a little bit so he can breathe and actually get them to listen to him. You see what I'm saying? So his popularity has one group against him, and that... That's hindering his ability to preach and teach like he wants to. His popularity has caused another group to just be fans flocking to him. And it's, you'd think, well, all the crowd is good. Well, if they're there for the right reason, it is good. But it becomes a hindrance because most of them are just superficial. They're only out there to see what he can do. They've heard the news. They're after him because he's popular. And I want you to see a third hindrance in verse 11. The unclean spirits. 
whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they would fall down before him and shout, You are the Son of God. And he earnestly warned them not to tell who he was. Now you may think this is a good thing. They're publicly acknowledged that he's the Son of God. This is not a good thing, and here's why. Notice it says the unclean spirit, the person who had the unclean spirit, would bow down before him. Now they're acknowledging his authority, but here's the thing. Jesus doesn't want the crowd to associate him with any connection with evil spirits. Are you with me? He doesn't want to be affiliated with them in any way. So when they come up to him, bowing to him, calling him the Son of God, he's telling them, shut up. He doesn't want them. Listen, it's like this. You don't want the town wino as a character witness for you in court. Right? There's certain people you just don't want to be your character witnesses. Listen, if you're Jesus, you don't want demon spirits to be your character witnesses. You don't want the people somehow thinking that you have some connection with these evil spirits because they're submitting to him. Secondly, when and how and where it is announced that he is the Son of God must be under his control. Because if he just begins to go about saying, I am the Son of God immediately, then, then the, the Father's timetable for the cross is thrown all out of sorts. Are you with me? It's ultimately that announcement that led to the cross. And you remember when Jesus finally told the religious leaders, the Sanhedrin, he said, are you the Christ, the Son of God? He said, I am when he finally said it openly and publicly to the religious leader, he was dead within hours. So Jesus had to control when and where and how that announcement was made. He didn't want to be associated with these evil spirits. This is not a help to his ministry. It's a hindrance to it. So what I want you to see is that as his popularity rises, it begins, it begins to get harder and harder for him to actually preach and teach the message that he came to give the people. That's the hindrances. So what does Jesus do? Here's what I want you to see next. The helpers. He recruits help. Look at verse 13. Jesus went up on the mountain and summoned those whom he himself wanted. And they came to him and he appointed twelve so that they would be with him and that he could send them out to preach and to have authority to cast out demons. Here's the picture. Jesus goes to a mountain. We aren't told which mountain. It doesn't matter. It says he called those to him he wanted. He didn't invite the whole crowd. Why? Jesus is looking for followers, not fans. You with me? He's not inviting the fans. He's calling his followers. And there's a purpose for it. It tells us why he called them. Now I want you to notice this is where he calls the twelve. Verse 14, he appoints twelve. And he names them for us beginning in verse 16. And I won't read all those right now. But these are the twelve apostles. Here's where he calls the twelve apostles. Now a couple things I need to say. 
First of all, there are no more apostles. You see churches that call themselves apostolic. And I even heard a lady introduce herself to me one time as Apostle Mumba Wumba or something. I don't know what it, she was African and it was something. But there are no more apostles. Okay? This is a specific select group for a specific purpose. These are the foundation of the church. So when you think about the apostles, for our perspective, I want you to think about the church. Jesus is calling these ones who are going to be the foundation of the church. They're going to be the ones who start, who found the New Testament church in the world as we know it today. And so he calls these men helpers to join with him in the work he's going to do. And this is what I want you to notice. This is what we are. We are followers of Jesus Christ who have been called to join with Him in the work that He came to do. Well, what is the work? Look at it. Verse 14. He appointed twelve so that they would be with Him and that he could send them out to preach and to have authority to cast out demons. Now, here's the first thing you see there. He called them so that they could be with him. Did you catch that? The most important thing for those whom Jesus calls to follow him is to be with Him. These men would literally be with Him 24 hours a day, seven days a week for somewhere around three years. They ate and talked and slept and cried and laughed and worked and played with Him. They were with Him. They learned from Him. They grew to know Him and love Him. And this is what I need you to understand. This has to happen first. You can't be effective in doing work for Jesus until you've spent time with Jesus. The first priority of those who are called to follow the Master is to be with Him. That's why Jesus said to Martha, you're worried and stressed out about a lot of things, but Mary has chosen the good part. What was she doing? She was sitting at the feet of Jesus. There would come a time for serving, but first you must sit before you serve. Priority for these disciples was being with Jesus, knowing His heart, learning His doctrine, seeing His priority, come to, coming to understand the Gospel and what it was He was commissioning them to do. Listen to me, church. Our first responsibility as Christians, as followers, as a church, is to be with Jesus. To know Him personally. To know Him intimately. To know His heart. To share His griefs and His joys 
to understand who He is and what He's about and what our part in that is. Listen, we must spend much time with Jesus. We need to spend much time with Jesus. Now I want you to notice this. Notice back in verse 14, He appointed twelve that they would be with Him and that next He could send them out to preach and to have authority to cast out the demons. Once they were with Jesus and began to know Jesus, there would come a time when He would send them out so that they could preach on their own. They could take the message. This is why He commissioned them. Jesus never intended to do the work by Himself, the work of missions. His plan was to, to raise up a church and employ His followers in His work. This is where that starts, right here, calling these twelve, appointing them as the foundation of the church. Why? So that He can send them to take the gospel. Let me say it to you like this. Jesus called these apostles the foundation of the church. You might say Jesus has called the church, if you boil it right down, to do two things. To know Him and make Him known. You see it? He summoned them and appointed them to do what? To be with Him. And then that they can go out and preach. To know Him and make Him known. That's our mission. First, we have to know Him ourselves if we're going to make Him known. What makes our making Him known effective is that we know Him. If you try to make Jesus known, but you don't know Him yourself, then your efforts are not real convincing, usually. You don't sound like somebody who really is in love with Jesus. You may sound like somebody who's memorized some religious rules, but you don't sound like somebody who's, who's inflamed with a passion for Jesus if you don't know Him. But once they know Him, and once they're filled with the Spirit of God, they went out passionate about the things of God, passionate about the Son of God and who He was and what He came for. Listen, He's called us to know Him and make Him known. And I want you to notice it says, and to cast out demons. Why was that important? I need you to understand something. How were these apostles going to validate the message they were preaching? Why would anybody believe what they had to say? Because they were doing the same things that Jesus Himself did. You with me? They did the miracles Jesus did, which validated them as followers of Jesus. You with me? Now, why don't we go cast out demons and such? Now, we have something to validate us. We have something to give us authority that the disciples didn't have. See, they didn't have the Bible to go to and show that what they were preaching was the truth, to give them authority. Listen, this is our authority. What we have is better than what they had. 
We have the full counsel of God's recorded word. Our authority comes from here. Now, not all people accept it as authority. That's neither here nor there. The disciples could cast out demons. Jesus could raise the dead and not everybody accepted His authority. The ones who are not going to hear are not going to hear. It doesn't matter. But we have been given the authority of God's Word so that we can make Him known. It's not only the tool we use to make Him known, it's our authority for making Him known. Our authority is the Word of God. We have authority when we speak because we speak the Word of God. So Jesus gave them authority to go out in His name and preach the Gospel. So here are all these hindrances to Jesus. He's trying to preach, but His popularity is making it so hard for Him to get the message across. So He goes to the next step of the plan. He calls these apostles and He starts really what is the foundation of the church so they can know Him, first of all, be with Him, and make Him known by preaching with His authority the message of the kingdom. And I want you to notice this list of men. Verse 16, He appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom He gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, John, his brother, uh, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot. What's so astonishing about this is they are unimpressive, uneducated, virtually unknown at the time, and unqualified. They're just as ordinary as ordinary could be. And these are the men who would be the foundation of the church. Ordinary people called to follow Jesus, to be with him, and then make him known to others. This is Jesus' plan. This is what Jesus does. The next step in the mission as his popularity begins to grow and he begins to get salted by fans who are not really followers. They're just attracted to his popularity and by the hostility of the religious folk, and by the demons who can actually cause him more trouble than he would like, what's his response? To raise up regular, ordinary, normal people to know him and make him known. Now I want you to notice the last name in that list. Who's the last person in the list of apostles? Judas Iscariot. When he's introduced in the New Testament, he's always introduced as the one who betrayed Jesus. Now go back to verse 13. Let me show you something. He, being Jesus, went up on the mountain and summoned those whom he himself wanted. You see that? Who did Jesus call to him? The ones he wanted. And then in verse 14 it said, He appointed the twelve. Did Jesus know Judas would betray him? 
Absolutely he knew. It says he called the ones he wanted. He wanted Judas as part of that group. Did he know Judas would betray him? Oh, absolutely he knew. We learned from the Gospel of John that he knew all along Judas would betray him. What's that telling us? From the very beginning, Jesus knew that the cross was looming in the future. He intentionally put a betrayer among the apostles. This was the design of God. Why? Because the mission ultimately culminated with the cross. Yes, they would preach Jesus, but it all had to culminate on the cross. That's where this whole thing's headed. This is what I want you to see today. What is it Jesus wants from you and I as a church? I'll say it like this. He's not looking for fans. He's looking for followers. He's not looking for fans. He's looking for followers. Do you understand the difference? Fans are people who are just attracted to Jesus because they think He can do something for them. Well, He's my ticket to heaven or whatever. They're just fans. Jesus is looking for followers. People who will be with Him. On good days and bad days. When it's easy to follow, when it's hard to follow. He's looking for followers who are committed to knowing Him and making Him known. And the question I want to leave you with tonight, to ponder this within your own heart about yourself. Am I a fan or a follower? Which are you? Let's pray.